0: From CPR News, this is Colorado Matters. He's been a game show host abroad, a professor of classical music, and a musician in a world where diversity is still hard to come by.
1: To get into this world that at one point in time was, you know, all white is pretty amazing. And I know that in some way, shape or form, just being here helps.
0: Now he's made history here in Colorado. Today, a conversation with CPR classical host Caven Thomas, who picked up the tuba by accident and found love for music and himself in the process
1: and I got a chance to come to the understanding that I was good enough. You know, you always wonder, are you good enough? Am I worthy of being a professional musician? Could I hang with a big, powerful orchestra? And it was such a validating experience.
0: Why his mantra is, representation matters.
1: If you have a car you're ready to part with, have you thought about donating it to Colorado Public Radio? Car donations from listeners like you are a really important part of CPR's funding, and it's easy to do. Just fill out a form, schedule a pickup, and supply the title. Soon, your car will be on its way to help fund the fair, fact-based news reporting you count on. Get started at CPR.org/support. And thanks.
0: This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. I'm Chandra thomas Whitfield. June is Black Music Month. Established in 1979, it's a time to celebrate the musical contributions of African-Americans. In the world of classical music, black people are still largely underrepresented, but that's starting to change.
1: CPR Classical welcomes Cabin Thomas to The Morning Show. Hey, hey, hope that woke you up.
0: Today, we're going to talk through it with a distinct New voice on CPR Classical, Caven Thomas. He's a tuba player, a classical music professor, a former Marine, an actor, and he even hosted a game show host abroad. And you won't believe where. Very exciting, Caven. Yeah. Welcome.
1: Hello, hello. How are you doing? Hello, Colorado Matters listeners.
0: <laughs> <laughs> if you all only knew, Kaven's in here cracking jokes and just... Making us all laugh today. Now, you have an absolutely fascinating background, and I would be remiss to interview you and not mention this fun fact. You are the first black host of CPR Classical.
1: That is correct.
0: How does it feel to make history here uh, in Colorado?
1: <laughs> I consider myself very fortunate. It's a good place, great people, and it's a wonderful opportunity to sort of uh, to live the phrase "representation matters," you know.
0: Yeah, we talk about that a lot on Colorado Matters. In fact, good. Um, good. Now I have to ask you how have people reacted to seeing you show up as you <laughs> <laughs> at, at classical music events. I, I, that, that's always the question I want to ask. You, you know, the
1: thing I that's that's funny that you that you asked that when I first received the offer to join the team, I said to Monica Vischer, who's the program director over there, I said. Monica are you are you sure because i'm just so different and you know i take music on from a sort of a different point of view because of the life that i've had a chance to lead and and i believe that you can have a lot of fun with classical music you can tell your jokes about classical music but i know what i'm talking about so I'm able to have fun with that and also just to share, you know, my joy and my passion. But I do it so differently. I doubt, seriously, there are honestly, I don't think there's anyone in the industry that is as crazy as I am behind the microphone doing classical music. Sometimes the classical music people can be um, very serious because it's a wonderful... That was serious... my
0: thought. Serious yeah. came to mind. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah, serious, sober. And and I kind of just, I'm the loud guy, the loud drunk guy, even though I don't drink. But I think there's room for that in the whole world of diversity, uh, you know, equity and inclusion. There is a room for people who know what they're talking about concerning classical music and bring an attitude that's a little bit different because all of those composers, they all had their sort of idiosyncrasies. We all do as human beings, don't we? We all are just a little... I mean we have our thing we have the our quirks and our, and those things that make us make us who we are our uniqueness well so did composers they had senses of humor and they were weird and they were obsessive and so so I like to talk about some of those things and I like to bring the joy of who I am onto the radio and I'm just lucky that I have a program director who's like that's why I hired you, is what she said when I go, are you sure? She goes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know what I'm getting myself into, Monica said. I said, okay, here we go. I'm in. Well,
0: I think I have found my kindred spirit in public radio because I kind of felt the same way. I'm like, I don't. I, I said, I'm so kind of not NPR-ish. Yes, so... <laughs> I don't speak like in hushed tones or anything like that. And I'm from New Orleans, so I'm extremely loud. So. So
1: am I. So am I. <laughs> I
0: have found my brother at CPR. <laughs> and we do have Thomas and yes, Common. So, yep, we got the so Thomas thing kinda, going. We're kind of cousins, huh? Mm-hmm, yeah, we are.
1: Yeah, we are. As,
0: as, as they say in the South, we're play cousins. We play cousins. <laughs> Maybe you passed through Louisiana a couple of times. <laughs> just, so, just... <laughs> well, I have to admit, Kevin, I'm not getting a total classical
1: music vibe from you. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. And here's the thing that's wonderful. A, but that's right. what you're saying is that, unique, right? Right. And, and and that's the whole, I think that's the magic of our diversity, you know, as as a people, these things that I've talked about, the experiences that my family and my lineage has had, the, and, you know, being a former Marine and being a former sailor and, and playing professionally with the mm. Detroit Symphony and, and and all these things that I've had. That's what I bring to the table, and I think the table becomes a little richer, right? Because mm. it all of us are like this table full of different foods, right? And so here comes the apple, and here comes the you know, peach, and here comes the kumquat, and here comes the the, the water. So, so you've got all these so it's different just this things, mix. yeah, it's a mix, and that's what we all bring. That's what makes this bountiful feast. We're all this diverse. Mixture and it's such a rich salad that that comes from that and and so that's why I'm so happy to that's why I'm so happy to be here.
0: I think you are singing the praises of the DEI movement. That's it.
1: That's it. <laughs> so
0: you touched on this a bit, a bit of your background. Mm-hmm. You studied acting and music at Wayne State University. That is correct. And I have a cousin that works there, and Rock. I have a lot of family in Detroit. Rock and roll, um, mm-hmm. as well as the universities of Michigan mm-hmm. and Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. For 11 years, you taught classical music to students at the University of Arkansas.
1: 9,000 Fayetteville, students. Fayetteville, 9,000 of them.
0: During that time, you were also the narrator and host of the Emmy Award-winning documentary, The Sound of Dreams. Oh, man, you do your homework. Which is Look about the Hot Springs Music Festival. That's correct.
1: I grew up in the ghettos of Detroit, Michigan, and I didn't get involved in classical music until I was 16 years old. Before then, I was in a gang. I sold drugs, I shot a man, and I was shot. I'm living proof that music has power, because it changed my life. This is where it happens, in the practice room, alone working on a tough piece. Just you and the music. It's a lonely feeling, but you need to have that. It's where you find your inner strength. I'm going to need it tonight when I play this solo.
0: This is not just a job for you. This is really a deep passion. Right. Tell us more about that.
1: Well, yeah, it's more than just a job. It's who I am. And I think that you notice... With a lot of people who are involved in the arts, it's who you are because there are certainly easier ways to make a living. You it's get to your create, life. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's part of who you are it's on a, a daily basis. Yeah. It's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. And so that is is very important. You know, what was it? Miles Davis, I believe, has said, you know, I I would do something else if I could. I can't. It's who I am. And and the, really, music is who I am. And so it, it means so much to me. And the arts are are who I am, too, because I love acting. But if I had to pick between acting and music, well, first off, don't make me pick. But if I had <laughs> to, it, it would be music, because that was my, honestly, that was my first love.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Now, I have to ask, how did you get started? Like, what drew you to classical music, especially as a African-American man, and I have to say, I've never really seen that genre heavily marketed or promoted in the black community. How did you get started?
1: Uh, A woman. A woman started. I, 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 I. <laughs> a beautiful a woman. Beautiful I heard beautiful mocachina Bambino. Uh, her name was <laughs> Kathy Rhodes. She's a violin player. She was w- just a wonderful soul. Uh, I we met at Cast Tech High School, which is the high school where I started.
0: Oh, is that the school Diana Ross and yeah, all of them went all to? Of them the went whole to, Motown that's crew. Right, that's <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Cast is a very special place, and uh, Jack Shelby was my uh, teacher after after the fact. So I met Kathy. I had no musical uh, uh, inclination whatsoever. But then I met her. She was a violinist, Mm. uh, and she was a wonderful person. And for some reason, we connected, I mean, instantly. And I just, you know, she was my first love. She was my Juliet. And um, I felt like Romeo. And uh, she would take out her violin, and she would play things for me. And I just thought it was magical, just magic what she did. And I remember one day we were sitting uh, in the cafeteria at Cass, and she looked at me and she goes, "You have the heart and the soul of a musician. You should Mm. take a musical instrument up." And I went, "Really, honestly, if Kathy had asked me to jump off a bridge, I probably would have thought about it." But I'm so glad that she didn't. Well, I'm glad she did not ask for that. No No, Ask
0: you to do that? Yeah, no, no, she wasn't (laughs) that
1: kind of person. Anyway, so so I was like, "Okay, Kathy, I do. I I I would love to do it." Then she she suffered from sickle cell anemia. And her family got involved in this experimental program at the Mayo Clinic and they moved. Like they moved, moved away really fast. And we didn't have cell phones back in that day, we barely had landlines. <laughs> And so, and so, um, so she was gone and she was gone kind of forever. And I literally, the next semester, so my, the beginning of my sophomore year, I picked up a, a musical instrument, which I thought, because I didn't know anything about musical instruments, which I thought was the bassoon that was the instrument that i wanted to play i saw this long uh, uh wood uh tube that had all the little silver buttons on it and it just looked so cool it's a skinny little thing and that's the instrument i wanted to play but i had no idea what the name of it was so i looked at the person who was next to me and i said so so what uh what instrument is that long wooden thing and he goes man i think it's a tuba and i said okay that's the instrument i want to play <laughs> and so then i said, you know uh Mr. Shelby asked us what instrument did we want to start playing. And we got to my name. I said, I want to play the tuba, thinking I was going to be playing the bassoon. Then they took me back to the music room and they hand me this brass toilet. And I go, no, 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 not this. I don't want to, I don't want to have anything to do with this. And he go, I want to play the tuba, you know, the long wooden thing that has the silver buttons. And the, uh, the instrument guy said, that's a bassoon. You pick the tuba. <laughs> and I went, no, 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 no. And I went to Mr. Shelby and I said, sir, please don't. I have to take the bus to school. I'm just going to be a target. I'm in Detroit, <laughs> with the big Michigan case. with the big old... And so he goes, no, it's the instrument you picked. You got to stay with it. And it turned out that little mistake has you know, taken me around the world a couple of times now. And I've had a chance to play with a lot of fantastic groups and do a wonderful recitals all over the world. So it's been a it's been a wonderful mistake, and and I love the instrument very much now. Well,
0: someone argued there are no accidents That's in right. the world, and right. as a native New Orleanian, mm-hmm. which I always work into any conversation, as you should, um, as you should. I am a big fan of the tuba because a brass band has got to have it has, a tuba. Got to have a tuba. So I'm gonna have to see if I can teach you the whole second line That's thing. It. You know what? I've, I've
1: always wanted to do it. what well, was it. Um, uh, now the tuba players out there in Louisiana, they they usually c- carry. Their their tubas, they, yeah, they on carry them. them They're yeah. called sousaphones. Those are tubas, but they are the ones that you get a chance to wear. My my instrument of choice is actually a concert tuba, which you kind of sit and play. But I could always put a wrap a you know, I, sousaphone I, I around I my. I Totally
0: neck. see you doing yes, this. Um, yes, yes, and can for do that. those who I, I'm, I'm using my Louisiana vocabulary, <laughs> second line is a dance. Yes, and there are bands that play yes. the music, which. Correspond with the dance, mm. and so it's a, a great combination. And they march. Yes, they march. And, isn't,
1: and isn't it the second line all about letting uh, at at funerals, letting yes. the spirit go into you know the paradise, and that we celebrate that their shackles being taken off of their feet, so that they can. Yeah, you know.
0: it's a it's it's more of a celebration. celebration. You know, we always say celebration of life, but of mm-hmm. course funerals tend to be very sad. Mm-hmm. So the funerals start off quiet, yeah. and then they end with this celebration. And yes. you know it's a thing in New Orleans to go to a funeral. Believe yes. me, it's a total experience, just yeah. like a New Orleans wedding too. <laughs> now, I also understand that your late father mm-hmm. has a lot to do with how you got into classical.
1: Yeah, he he passed those genes on to me the the desire for music and having and and having an aptitude for it because uh, he was a violinist, and I now he died very early in my life. I was only one. And so I never got a chance to ask him two things. One, you know, his thoughts about music and two, why in the world would he name me Cabin? <laughs> Such, I so hated do, this do name for so you know the so meaning
0: long. of it?
1: I looked it up, my, I asked my mom, what was wrong with dad that he <laughs> would call me this name? And she said he was reading some book in German and saw it and liked it. and And then when I was in Germany, I saw that the only thing I saw that had cabin attached to it was K A B I N N E T T E. Like it's like a cabin, it's like a booth. <laughs> and I said, "Really, my dad named me after a booth." <laughs> okay, I appreciate that, Dad. Okay, that's right. So, have you met so, any other cabins? I have. Mm-hmm. Really, mm-hmm. it's spelled mm-hmm. the same way with the K. Spelled the same way, and only one. It, it seems to have. A relationship with India because there are cabins that are over there so
0: well interesting because I won't say I hate my name but you know I I wanted the you know the stickers at Disney that yeah. say Nicole right. and Lisa right and there and is the no Chandra yeah, yeah, there's yeah, there, no, there there no, no cabins, no and, cabins. Nope. and there are no Chandra's no. my name is actually Indian as well and uh, so it's interesting as so a maybe our parents were reading the same stuff you, we're <laughs> gonna,
1: no we're just gonna look back on that lineage <laughs>
0: We're going to find out. We're closer than we think. My play cousin, Kate. All (laughs) right.
1: That's it. Nothing wrong with that.
0: Now, you were also a substitute tuba player with the Detroit Symphony Orchestra for 14 years. And Mm -hmm. you and your wife have performed a show called Peace, Love, and Tuba Standing. That
1: is correct. Yes, yes, yes.
0: storytelling and music to tell a powerful story about love and courage amid racial tensions and fear. Now, that just sounds fascinating. Why be a part of that production?
1: Well, I'll go to the Detroit Symphony part real quick and and just say it was one of the great experiences of my life, actually. Um, I had a chance to debut with the Detroit Symphony playing the Strauss First Horn Concerto. And, you know, to do a debut with a major symphony orchestra playing, you know, a Strauss Horn Concerto, that's, that's pretty darn special. After that, Happened, which I did fourteen times. I was asked to by my teacher at the time, Wes Jacobs, to be a permanent sub with the orchestra, and so I got a chance to create this re- wonderful relationship with what I consider be a spiritual parent, and that's the Detroit Symphony Orchestra. Mm. So I, it was it it was a wonderful time. It was a wonderful fourteen years. I appreciate every single time I had a chance to to go and perform with them, and I got a chance to come to the understanding that I was good enough. You know, you always wonder, are you good enough, especially when you're going to school and you're around all these other wonderful players and you can't constantly ask yourself, am I worthy of being a professional musician? Could I hang with a big, powerful orchestra? And it was such a validating experience. Whenever I do my show, the morning show, Whenever I play the Detroit Symphony Orchestra's music, I always say my beloved Detroit Symphony because they are my beloved Detroit Symphony. And I'm very, very proud of that group and the relationship I have with them. So to peace, love, and tuba standing with Mary, and meeting Mary was a story all to mm. itself, just to let you know. When I left Abu Dhabi, where I was a game show host for Ferrari Motor Car in, um, in Abu Dhabi, which was one of the most spectacular places I've I've ever lived. But when we were living in Nebraska, I had to find work. And work was hard to come by. And so I worked as a caretaker at an apartment complex for Several years, and it wasn't a bad job, it just wasn't music, so I, you know, wasn't fulfilled. One day, there was a a very difficult situation that had taken place that was racial in its, um, you know, effect, but it was a pretty awful experience with people who did not live in the apartment complex where I worked. They actually fashioned a noose and put the noose uh, on a table telling me that that was for me. So, Whoa. It, yeah, it was really bad, to be honest. Uh, it was really bad. But, in you know, there's two directions that one can go in. You know, you could become angry and bitter or you could try to take that negative energy and turn it into something that was good. And that, to be honest, birthed peace, love, and two standing. So, I talked to Mary about this and I said, let's do something, you know, with this talking about, you know, tolerance, but more than tolerance, acceptance and inclusion and love. Because most of the heinous acts that I've seen happen, you know, in my life and that I have witnessed have been based on fear and self-loathing. And I said, well, peace, love, and tuba standing, which is based off of peace, love, and understanding, right, um, is just the opposite of that. It's to embrace diversity and love. And Mary and I talk about our love story because we're mixed race and the fact that love is the most special thing that exists on this planet. <laughs> peace, love, and tuba standing— First off, I need to thank my wife for loving me. We actually met, Mary and I met at an amusement park called Cedar Point in uh, Sandusky, Ohio. And I saw this beautiful woman. We were both working there. It's 1985. And I go walking in, and I see this goddess hanging out over the microwave. And I was like, "I, I need to talk to this woman. And so I walk over and I say, excuse me, miss, I just wanted to say hello. I mean, like that, it was that magnetism, there was no way I was going to moth the flame, deer in headlights, I was going in. And she hesitates for a second, stiffens, goes bolt upright, and does an about face. And her cheeks are so full, they're like chipmunk cheeks, full of food. She took a hot dog, she shoved the whole thing in her mouth she was late for work she wants to say and she needed to eat something so she took this thing shoved this thing in her mouth she's got chipmunk cheeks and i i i just said i'm in love with you i my Mary is and that's how we met and we fell in love and then uh, i back in 1985 we still had uh, racism institutional racism microaggressions all those things were very still very strong i mean there were a lot of that There was a lot of instances of that that was taking place and i lost my nerve basically i didn't want to bring her into my world i didn't want her to stay in my world because it's a it's a funky world if you're an african-american you have to stand in two worlds it was very tough and it was really we were going i was going through difficult times so i ended up breaking up with her and missing her and like i lost my soul after we broke up. And I just, for 27 years, I wandered in the desert, or as Douglas Adams would say, the long dark tea time of the soul. And um, I, I I, didn't know what I was gonna do. And then? 27 years
2: later, I had joined Facebook to connect with friends after I had gone through a divorce, and I got a message. And it was from Caban, how are you? 27 years later. I was from Michigan, I was living in Omaha, Nebraska, and I said, hi, what are you doing, where are you? I was envisioning him playing in an orchestra somewhere here in the States, and he says, I'm a game show host in Abu Dhabi. (laughs) Seriously. The thing is, I had kept Photos, I had kept the pin I wore the night I met him. I hugged a pillow every night thinking of him for all those years, because he was my love. And I started to cry when I got that message from him. We emailed, Skyped, phone called, and a few months later, someone who had never traveled overseas before got on a plane and flew where? Abu Dhabi. (laughs) We hugged, and it felt like we'd been apart a week. We visited for a couple weeks, and then uh, I came back to Omaha. And then a few months later, Cabin gave up his job and moved to Omaha to be with me. We got married 30 years after we met. I have to tell you, though, that it reminded me, as soon as Cabin came back in my life, I realized the privilege I walk around with. I can walk into a store and not be followed. I can drive by a police officer and not worry I'll be pulled over because I might not look safe. The first time we went to our church, I brought Cabin to First Unitarian for a potluck, and we pulled into our parking lot. And they always had a security guard in that parking lot for years. I had driven by that security guard, years. We pull in around 530, the security guards there, and what happens? Tap, tap, tap on the window. Are you folks supposed to be here? i was mortified because i knew why he was saying that with a sneer on his face and anger in his eyes because there was a black person in that parking lot Then he almost argued with us and i said i've been here a million times we're here for the potluck and he finally left but i was so upset and Cabin calmed me down and he said mary this is how i live it made me weep because he's been pulled over he's been detained but the thing is This person is so resilient, he's so optimistic, he's so full of love, he's so full of hope that we're gonna arise over that hump and be together and join together. Okay, I'll stop talking.
1: So peace, love, and tuba standing is music, and we have a little—mostly we do this at, you know, the various uh, uh, churches. We will, you know, we'll do it at libraries. We've done it at people's homes. It's it's a very intimate experience, and so we—that's where our—where we've had our biggest impact, and it touches people's lives. It touches people's hearts, and and honestly, that's what it's all about—love, hope— You know, understanding other people who you might not get along with or might not agree with, but to listen to what people have to say, even if you're in total, total opposite orbit concerning what they're having to say, to respect other people's thoughts. And what I found with that is that you can learn so much if you make yourself open to, you know, other ideas, even if they're not ideas that you are you know, willing to sort of adopt for yourself. You get to understand the person a little bit more, especially if you can start digging.
0: Another big love, of course, is love of country. And you have served as a U.S. Marine and as a musician sailor at the U.S. Naval Academy. That is correct. Another fascinating fact. Tell us about that.
1: (laughs) I, I, um, I felt, well, my dad, he served in the Coast Guard. And you know, Even though my dad wasn't around, I think for a lot of boys, um, they compete with their dad. You know, they love their dad, but they, you know, they want to they want to do good, you know. And so he served in the Coast Guard and I wanted to serve. And I've always felt a desire to serve this country because it's such a cool country. And I didn't have a problem with, you know, being of service. I wanted to really be challenged. I had just broken up with Mary, the woman who I'm married with now. Uh-oh. Okay, and my heart was my heart was just broken. It was broken, and I needed I needed a challenge, and so I went to the recruiting station uh, and I checked with the different places, you know, Air Force and and Army and Navy, but this Marine came up to me and said, "You think you you think you could do this? You think you'd wear this uniform? You think you could be good enough to wear the Eagle Globe and Anchor?" And I said, "Sounds like a challenge to me. Let's go for it." Oh. Boy, it was quite the challenge. So, you know, for 13—I told Mary that for 13 weeks out of my life, of all the times that I missed her during those 13 weeks, I didn't think of her once. <laughs> because you were too tired. Because I, I was too tired, and all I was trying to do was survive boot camp. But but the Marine Corps was a wonderful experience for me, and, and I really dug—believe uh, it or not, I really dug uh, you know, being part of challenging myself— literally beyond what i thought i could do and that's a positive thing that comes out of things like boot camp is that you don't you honestly you don't think you can go another foot and and the drill instructor kind of helps you know encourage you with gentle talk <laughs> to move you forward but it was, one of, it was one of the great experiences i say to everybody it was a billion dollars worth of experience that i would not do again for a billion dollars, <laughs> you know, the boot camp was boot camp was uh, something else. Yeah. It's
0: designed to break you down, right? <laughs> and, it, and it does
1: a fantastic job with that during <laughs> during during assembly time. But I got to fly, and I did have a passion: theater, um, music, and aviation are the things that I, that really sort of you know, rock my boat. So I had a chance to be in helicopters, and I loved my time you know in the air it's such a special experience again it's an experience that if more people could just take a moment instead of rushing from one place to the next taking air transportation to understand that what they're doing is simply impossible for a human being to do without that sort of machinery and that their ancestors never saw what they are able to see you know to this day, it's very, very special to be in the air. So I loved that time that I was in the in the corps. And then um, the opportunity came for me to transfer over and be in the Navy doing uh, flight. I wanted to be a pilot as opposed to being a person that was in the air crew. And the opportunity came for me to fly. So I went to Officer Candidate School in Pensacola. And that was a wonderful experience. But I chose, I said, you know what, I I need to be with my music. Mm. I needed to be with music. So, so I ended up being stationed at the United States Naval Academy, and I was part of the Naval Academy Band. And, and that was a fantastic experience getting a chance to meet the Brigade of Midshipmen and serving my country in that respect. I loved my entire time in both the Marines and the Navy. It's one of the great experiences of my life.
0: Well, the love of music keeps coming up. And yeah. Before this interview, yeah. I asked you to share two of your go-to all-time classical music favorites. Yes. The first one you mentioned is Brahms' Second Piano Concerto. Yes. And doesn't uh, have a
1: tuba part even. No,
0: Doesn't even have
1: no a tuba, tuba part. Can yeah, you believe to fix it? <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to talk well, to Mr. Brahms. <laughs> well, let's hear it. And the great thing about this is that the, both the orchestra and the piano are working together. They are bonded. This is more of a duet than it is a piano concerto. They're all working together. And I like that unity between the two. So this is like a symphony. This is this is what I consider this to be like Brahms' Fifth Symphony because because one couldn't exist without the other. It's heart and muscle. This, the two instruments, the orchestra and the piano together, it's just magical.
0: And you mentioned that it is a pure example of a collaboration between two instruments.
1: Yes, it's two instruments. It's a it's a du- really it's a duet. It's a duet between the piano and the orchestra. It's, it's one of the most magical pieces uh, I've, I've ever experienced. And I always come back to this, whether I'm sad or I'm happy. It's one of the great works that has been created. Oh, it's such magic. They work, they bond so well together. It's like super glue. Those two, those two, and they really are, they're two instruments, orchestra and piano. It's a, it's a magical combination.
0: Wow. Mm-hmm. The passion shines through in oh, your yeah. explanation. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll share your second selection shortly. But right, cool. first, let's get back to this issue of diversity in the genre of classical music. Yes, yes. One article i read described the relationship that the African-American community has with America's classical music tradition as, quote, difficult to decode. That same article noted that today it's not uncommon for Kanye West or Kendrick Lamar to perform with a symphony orchestra, yet African-Americans generally aren't performing in those orchestras. And less than 2% of musicians in American orchestras are African American and that's according to a 2014 study by the League of American Orchestras. Mm-hmm. And only 4.3% of conductors are black and composers remain predominantly white as
1: well. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on that? White and male. Um when I, when I started in on you know this classical music journey it was the late 70s when I when I uh picked up a musical instrument and uh, I'll I'll be honest at Cass what was interesting is it was very black and I really dug that because a whole lot of people who were coming up but classical music um, is not cheap I guess that's the, the easiest thing to say as it, you know, tennis is not cheap and Golf. gymnastics are not mm-hmm. cheap. So, so hockey. Yeah. yeah. And,
0: uh, ice time. Yeah, and Right. Needing access to certain equipment and things like that. That is
1: that is correct. Well, uh, classical music is the exact same thing. Parents had better things to do with their money. I don't want to say that classical music's not worth it. It's completely worth it. But if you take a look at the value, you know, um, there's also a study I can't remember. I, I can't quote it, so I'm just going to paraphrase. But, you know, to talk about the relative worth of, you know, the standard white family versus the standard black family.
0: Like the wealth gap. With the wealth that gap that exists.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, think about that 50 years ago. It was considerably worse. So when you tell me that, you know, 2 uh, percent... Of, of the classical music world now has people of color in it. I'm like, right on. Because it wasn't that when I started. It was a point something percent. Mm. And so you've seen, you know, this this good growth that, is, that has taken place because, you know, Equity has started to come into into play. Uh, Black families are are starting to make more. It's still a glacial event that's taking place. The progress is glacial, but it's happening. A lot of great things have taken place. So you start seeing more and more people playing musical instruments who are of color, that they can continue to play their musical instruments once they get into high school and college. These things have been of remarkable help, but... There is still a long way to go to be, to be honest, for me to be the first African American in the classical genre here in Colorado. Uh, I think that if I had gone to probably twenty five different jobs, uh, I would probably have been the first African American radio host position, for classical. Yeah. yeah, and so, so it's, it's just, it will happen. It's happening, but it's just, uh, it, it takes a long time. And you know what? If you've grown up poor. And you have ambition. You're, the chance is that you're going to want to make some money. Classical music, wonderful field that it is, great field, good, good you know, solid middle class and even upper middle class uh, income you can make if you make it into the top 10 orchestras, right? Beyond that, then, you know, you're, you're kind of hustling. Uh, all the time. Oh, and the, the
0: musician life.
1: The musician life, the freelance life. And some people, they can do just great on it, but most people, kind of, almost like acting. You you know, there's your Meryl Streep's, right? And there's, there's your Denzel Washington's. And then there's people who make $1,000 a year as an mm. actor. And so, you know, a lot of people who have struggled and had to deal with those struggles have decided to do something that is going to uh, increase their standard of living and also provide for them a generational transfer of wealth so that their their kids can have money. Because classical music meant so much to me, I took the route of, you know, I'm going to do what it takes and I'm going to hustle and I'm going to struggle and I'm just going to try to make this thing work. So I remember Monica, my boss, asking me, you know, where can we find more interesting, diverse people who who can bring to the table, you know, um uh, you know what you do? And I said, "Ah, you're not going to find very many because they they have to almost almost be like a priest taking a vow of poverty sometimes to go through what you have to go through to to stay in this field. so well, it, you know, it
0: it makes me think about some of the work that I've done, particularly about an increasing lack of diversity among. Teachers here Mm -hmm. in Colorado and nationwide, Mm -hmm. public school teachers. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of it is that it is a very stressful job, and you will not necessarily become rich by doing it, Mm -hmm. but it's a calling. It's got to be a
1: calling. Yeah. It's got to be. You know what? It also helps to see people in positions that, you know, to see them doing well and to see their position sort of in the media, like. a a well-written show and a funny show and an incredible show like that.
0: Media does influence what people think about. It's it's
1: huge. And when I I grew up, one of the things, you know, um, it it was sad now that I kind of look back at how few role models that I saw on television. Television is such an influential media, a medium, so everybody was white. And, you know, you go to see a classical music concert, everybody was white. And so being part of that diverse group that's able to, you know, get into this world that at one point in time was, you know, all white is pretty amazing. And I know that in some way, shape or form that just being here helps. Somebody is going to uh, experience, you know, uh, my joy of classical music who looks like me and sees someone who looks like them. You know, that for instance, that picture of Barack Obama when he was in the White House and that that little boy was touching his head Mm -hmm. to be able to see that is so important because we are so visual and we are so, you know, we're oral. We, We listen and to hear, you know, the conversations that we're having. These are important and it helps teach those people who are in the majority. You know, just to share, you know, our struggles and the things that we are going through, plus the people who have either walked our path or are going to be walking our path. That's why we're here. That creates the magic.
0: Well, clearly part of your passion is also raising awareness about classical music, also exposing different people with different backgrounds who may not have traditionally been a part of that community. And I also understand you like to talk about the black composers who mm-hmm. contributed. To the genre of classical music,
1: yes, and and what's nice is here at CPR Classical, when our team really works very hard at making sure that all twelve months of the year, you know, African American composers are performed as well as African American performers, uh, that that they are you know celebrated throughout the year, but during Black History Month, we put it in another gear. And I think it's so great to be part of an organization that takes to heart the importance of diversity in the music that that we present. So I like to say CPR Classical, we talk the talk, we walk the walk, and we play the music, the music of William Grant Still and Florence Price. and, And we do this wonderful spirituals project. Not a lot of classical music stations take time to promote that which is truly backbone of American music, and that is the uh, Negro spirituals. And, and we do that. And I think that that's such a good thing. And by stating it, by playing it, by reinforcing it, it, again, adds to that beautiful feast, that smorgasbord that sits on the table, different foods that everyone gets a chance to you know, eat and enjoy.
0: There's the CPR commercial. Hey,
1: listen, you know. <laughs> and we need to
0: pull that sound bite. Well, I promised that we would hear the other song that Cabin oh. identified as one of his absolute favorite yes. classical music selections of all time. And
1: can I can I share with you why it is before you even hear it?
0: Yes, yeah, set it up for us.
1: Well, just, just to get a setup, uh, this is by a gentleman, Robert Schumann. And he wrote this piece called Carnival. And it's of several different movements, several different sort of emotions, several different tempi and different keys. But the opening, the opening is a fanfare. It is mm. telling you we are here. And, you know, different pianists do it differently, but they all say the same thing at the very beginning. So let's hear the fanfare Here. Has arrived And then he repeats it And adds a little bass A little more A little more And I have arrived, <laughs> you know, just a just a wonderful piece of music. And again, there's no tuba there, but it doesn't matter. You know, I've always, <laughs> uh, always uh, noticed that as a, it's all it's all about the tuba. You know, th- the trick is to, to be a good musician. You know, you you want to sound like your heroes you know so when I play I want to sound like Yo-Yo Ma and I want to sound like Evgeny Kissin and I want to have that sort of spirit of, of Meryl Streep when I'm performing or I play with the same sort of beautiful masculinity as Denzel Washington when I'm playing a piece that that sparks that energy that I need it's all it all works and again it's all part of that gigantic smorgasbord of diversity you know that that we can pull these beautiful colors from this palette and and make great music because of the fact that our experiences have made us who we are.
0: In this piece Carnival, you actually described it, I I have to repeat this, you said it is like looking at a close up of Denzel Washington's face (laughs) as he is acting it is mesmerizing that's how I feel with Schumann's Carnival
1: Yes,
0: Uh, yes, Yes. well with that description, you might get a lot of non-classical fans checking out that that piece. So Yes,
1: yes, yes. My hope is that as we develop our relationship uh, in my time here at, at CPR Classical, that people will come and they'll dip their toe and they'll learn a little bit more and that we will make it so that uh, it doesn't feel exclusionary. That was the thing that s- sometimes I felt when I was coming up, that I was excluded from being with, you know, the cool people who were playing the musical instruments. And, again, money to to take the music lessons, to buy the instruments themselves, to, to do all those things that you need to do. I happen to have a mom who was poor, but, man, she was determined for me to explore those things that she felt were good for me and because there was there was an option it was either to explore the things that were good or explore the things that were not so good and so she wanted me to explore those things that were good and she thought that classical music was a good thing she didn't understand it she always loved when i played little brown jug that was about it and uh, but the other stuff or something from charlie pride you know, and I had to learn how to play that, and there was nothing the wrong with grade, that. That's yes. uh, the country great himself, who you said was a baseball player. Yes,
0: I did a, uh, a, a a radio documentary on a former Negro baseball league player here, who was based here in Colorado, and we learned in that piece that Charlie Pride played baseball, and he was a part of the Negro baseball
1: unbelievable, league. and and so my mom was a fan of Charlie Pride. Mm. Big fan. And so to to you know, to play Brahms for my mom was not it just didn't quite work for her, but when I put out Little Brown Jug, it was okay. So sometimes you had to meet I had to meet my mom where she was at. <laughs> and by exposing more and more people to the diversity that exists in the classical music world you will start to see more people, more diverse people, coming in and checking out the checking out the performances.
0: Well, I'm sure it starts with the enthusiasm
1: of some, and so you've definitely
0: expressed that. So, as we start wrapping up, how are you
1: enjoying Colorado? Well, when I got here it was in November, and and uh, the the day after I arrived, it snowed, and I was like, okay, well, Nebraska, and and you've uh, also lived in Michigan. Yeah, I listened uh, lived in Michigan, so I understand that snow is a thing. But the difference between Michigan, Nebraska, and Colorado are the mountains. And I remember when I was driving, I remember seeing what looked like clouds. (laughs) Way, you know, like fog or some fog bang. And I was like, no, 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 those are... Those are mountains. <laughs> and I could not get over that. And just the beauty of this state. Now that I I'm so glad I came in the winter because everything was, you know, I mean it was dormant.
0: Oh, that's it, a Colorado thing. Winter yeah. is the season. <laughs> yeah, and so
1: so now things are starting to come alive. And you know, I live over at the beautiful Heather Gardens that community out there. And I drive down Dam Road and I look at Uh, the beautiful uh, Cherry Creek Reservoir. And it's just, it's coming to life with boats and people walking and the smell here. I love the smell of Colorado it, it especially in spring like you can tell things are starting to come alive again and they're sprouting and I couldn't get over how wonderful the smell of the state can be so I'm just beginning to go holy cow we are in this isn't Nebraska anymore and it, it's a lovely beautiful community and I can't wait to get to know it better every time I look at those mountains I go man What's there? I want to explore. I want to see what's going on. And Coloradans seem to take their playtime very seriously.
0: Very seriously. You know, they
1: take their work time very seriously, but they kind of realize there's this work-life balance that is not just a phrase. Like, life is fast and enjoy it. You know, do And it's all love. about the great outdoors. And the great outdoors. Well, <laughs> if this
0: doesn't work out, you clearly have a future in the tourism industry of Colorado. So, are you listening, Tourism Board?
1: Here's your new your new employee. <laughs> That's right. Send me to different places. I'll do a classical music show from from all the beautiful locations in Colorado.
0: <laughs> Speaking of beautiful locations, and you touched on this a little bit. So you moved into a senior community, he- Heather Gardens, mm-hmm. and I heard the seniors are taking really good care of you and your wife. <laughs> yes. So yes. how is it being the young un, <laughs> that's yes. what I call it, <laughs> in young. a community of seniors?
1: Well, it's a 55 and older community. And so we, Mary and I, you know, we do qualify for it, which is, which is totally cool, but we are definitely without a doubt the youngest the <laughs> youngest among the youngest, there. yes, yeah, yeah, and so they're very accommodating and nurturing and loving, and it's a great community. And and uh, they have lots of different activities. And I remember talking to one of the you know the bigwigs who was there, and I said, "Do you have, do you folks ever have uh, classical music performances?" And he looked at me and says, "Not enough." And so I'm like. All right, we're talking to the right person, so we're going to get some classical music going over at wow. Heather Gardens and have some performing that's taking place. Maybe even a concert art series. Who well, knows? are
0: they listening to you on the radio? Yes, have they, they started the Kevin Thomas fan club? <laughs> all
1: of that. I don't think fan club has started, but I do have a lot of listeners. That that demographic still still sort of rules with the classical music world, and we have a lot of people who know that I am, uh, you know, the host of the morning show for CPR. So they they are listening. And they perk up a little bit because I usually mention something, you know, uh, in the morning, seeing the beautiful moon as I'm driving into work or something. So I constantly mention, you know, Heather Gardens and living in Aurora because it's a very nice community. I love being there and the people there are so nice. So like I said,
0: shout out to Heather Gardens. Heather Gardens, (laughs) where we are the
1: youngins. Well,
0: Kaven, I must say, this has been a real treat. We, we work in different locations, so yes. thanks so much for venturing downtown. Oh, what a joy, what a
1: joy. This downtown cool
0: Denver to visit yeah. with us today. You're, you're making me want to dust off some of my old classical music CDs Go ahead. from my little classical period. Yes, yes, yes,
1: <laughs> nothing wrong. With, and you know what's great about it is you can visit at any time. It will be there waiting for you.
0: Something tells me you're going to be successful. Oh yeah, Thank we'll you, Caven. Thank you very much, Chandra. Caven Thomas is the first black host on CPR Classical. He's also a tuba player and has been a classical music professor, actor, marine, and even a game show host abroad. You may hear him on CPR Classical weekday mornings from 6 to 10 a.m. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Chandra Thomas-Whitfield. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC.